An Eye for an Eye podcast contains subject matters that many may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. In a world where justice hides behind any rock it can find, only one podcast seeks to expose Eye for an Eye. What's up, y'all? Welcome back. <laughs> Hey everybody! Season two, we're back. It's your boy Maddie Ice checking in with my lovely co-host Lisa. What up, everybody? What up, Welcome everybody? Welcome back! It's season two. We got here. We did it. We got here. All cause of y'all. We made it. We're happy to be here with you. We're Discussing happy to talk about some of these punishments fit the crime. Yeah, despicable people and despicable acts, but figuring out what's real and what's facts. So, let's kick off season two. That's... I want to first of all issue a quick remembrance to those that were lost at the Tree of Life shooting and those that were lost in the Thousand Oaks shooting just recently. I want to just give a moment of silence in their memory. Thank you. Um, but I also want to say there has been a lot of great feedback and a lot of great communal growth from this and as awful as this situation has been and as awful it continues to be in America um, I do think we see some unity from tragedy if oh, that's yeah. one thing that we can take from it which is you know, yeah we have cream on top of shit basically but anyways I do want to point that out I have seen a lot of great people come together as a result of this I just want to say that as well um, but I want to talk about this case now, Lisa. Honestly, let's dive in. Let's dive right in. In Broomfield tonight as well, where the search is on for a murderer, law enforcement responded to reports of a body on the side of Riverdale Road. Our Dylan Thomas has been following the case for us today. Dylan, law enforcement are not releasing details about this body, but I understand you spoke to a family member tonight who claims to know the victim. Yeah, Britt, it was Ted Bollinger. That's the father of Natalie, who has been missing for several days now. While police remain on scene right behind me, they're not identifying the body that was located here just yesterday, but the father tells us, unfortunately, the body belongs to his daughter. This is a case that we kind of watched unfold as it was happening. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting because we watched it unfold, but there wasn't really a good sense of a resolution that I found up until it like really, really broke. So when it was like um, unfolding, we saw, you know, how social media really, really plays a part in cases nowadays. And I thought that this was a really interesting case to cover because of what ended up happening. So today, everybody, we are talking about the case of Natalie Bollinger. Yes. So let's get into it. On December 28th, Natalie was reported missing by her boyfriend, Joseph Marino. Her cell phone had been left behind, and Marino told detectives that his Glock 9mm pistol yes. was missing. Why did I ask yes. that? Like, I asked question. Okay, yeah. So, Marino, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know guns. This is a case, Matt, that we, like I said, on the Eye for Eye Facebook page, shout out. Come follow us. Come hang out with us and on the groups. Woo. This was a case that I followed from the second it first broke. Yeah, you were posting it on the Facebook group saying... 
What did you say? Remind me again. It was, so this is what we wrote. So on December 30th, 2017, which was only two days after Natalie was originally reported missing, I wrote, you know, so if you're already on our Facebook page or if you're new to our Facebook page, um, I like to post literally any and every article I see regarding true crime and I love having discussions about it. So I saw this and I also report um, a lot of missing people's cases because I think, you know, the awareness and spreading that is important as well. Absolutely. Um, if someone I loved was missing, I would hope, you know, strangers all over would, you know, retweet and repost. How many times have you seen something say, Twitter, do your thing? And it works. Yeah, right? right? You know, like... So it's it's really powerful. So every time I see something like that. So I did see a post regarding Natalie Bollinger's disappearance. Um, and it came up on my timeline, like I said, on December 30th. And we wrote in our post on Facebook on December 30th, quote, praying she is found unharmed. Her last public Facebook post is chilling, but hopefully worst case scenario could help find her. You guys, I fell down a rabbit hole in the comments. I'm going to post it, what I found in the comments here. So the rabbit hole I was speaking of when I was talking about on our Facebook post that I kind of fell down a rabbit hole in the comments on her post about her missing um, is Natalie had made a very concerning Facebook post a couple weeks or days, I think it was, prior. Oh, no, it was a couple, like a week prior. So in the missing post by Natalie's family that was made, her Facebook was tagged. So as fellow millennials know, and Gen X and Gen Y, it only takes one post to spiral into the black hole of the internet. And that's exactly what I did when this broke. And like I said, I was posting this on iPhone. Now you can still see our posts about it. It's all up there. Please take a look. Yeah. So the last post on Natalie Bollinger's Facebook page drew concern from almost every single commenter that was on the missing persons post. The last post on Natalie Bollinger's Facebook page was on December 13th, 2017. And what it said concerned a lot of people. It said, quote, hey, y'all. I have a public announcement. There is a man, Sean Schwartz. I met this man when I was young. I ran into him about two years ago. Long story short, I became friends with him. I helped him out with rides and stuff. I moved to Virginia. He drove across the country to see me. Slept behind my work for weeks. When I told him I didn't want to see him anymore, he sent me hundreds of texts and calls. He parked his car in front of my house, blocking military highway for hours, laying on his horn. He was arrested. Since then, I've asked him to leave me alone, and he won't. He sent emails for over a year close to every day, harassing me, making numerous accounts until I block him again, threatening my family, telling me he'd kill himself in front of me, and sending my friends and family harassing messages as well. I'm sharing because he's posting slander about me all over Facebook. So, if you receive a message, I'm sincerely sorry. Please ignore him. It only encourages him when he gets a response. Much like a child. He's mentally ill and I'm trying to fix this. So, of course, Matt, it's very concerning because a girl goes missing and the last post she makes is in regards to a mentally ill homeless man who has been stalking her. Yeah. So, this was a recipe for people to jump on and, of course, accusations started flying everywhere. Well, the question is... I first ask, who is this Sean Schwartz, and 
if he's homeless, where is he getting access to all this stuff? That's just like, I mean, that, that was my first thought, but mm-hmm. like, that's creepy as hell that he's. I'm saying that the thought that this guy is like some vagrant and he's not connected to anyone or anything. You never know. Yeah, I mean, but that's what everyone thought. They thought, okay, a recipe for disaster. She goes missing, reports that this man is stalking her and harassing her and has threatened, you know, her family, her, himself, in front of her. That's just all signs point to he has something to do with this. That's exactly what I thought. I I was reading through the comments, which are still up on all of these posts, you can see people directly accuse Sean of everything. Just say, I know he has something to do with it. He's a sick, you know, pervert, whatever, blah, 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 blah. So at least three Facebook groups, some with thousands of members, have formed to discuss this case. And they're still active, a lot of them, um, because people wanted to know what happened to Natalie. Where is she? And of course, again, her last post was concerning. So people, like, people, I guess, thought that they had all the tools and all of the information to solve this case, right? They thought, hey, clearly she has a stalker. She goes missing. Two and two, you know, equals four. Right, yeah, There's our case. Think. So I think a lot of these people were, like, kind of hyper uh, to fix the case. And we'll talk about that a lot throughout this episode, but especially at the end. The internet. So a lot of people were being armchair detectives. They thought they knew the case. They thought they knew what was going on. And they thought they could help solve it and get Natalie home safe Or, you know, help find her. So members of these forums did stay up late browsing public records and swapping theories about what they thought had happened to Natalie. And it appeared that public opinion was pretty divided. In the comments I saw, though, a lot of them were pointing at Sean Schwartz, but some commenters appeared to believe that Schwartz was being unfairly targeted for Natalie's murder due to his mental illness while others were annoyed that the focus on Schwartz seemed to have diverted media attention away from the hunt for Natalie's real killer. So it was split. Some people thought, hey, clearly, like I said, two plus two equals four. This guy has done something. He knows something. And some people were like, you guys are targeting a man you have no real evidence about. Other than one post. Other than one post. And that's hurting the investigators who are trying to do this investigation. So that's what some people thought, and and I can't say I disagree with all of all of this. It's just very interesting, and you're gonna you're gonna be very confused soon. So going into Sean Sean Shorts a little bit, we wanna we wanna talk about him because that's where a lot of the focus uh, was targeted. You know, un- understandably so. And I'll I have questions for you about that as well um, at the end of this, but one click into Sean's Facebook page, which is still up to this day would lead any inquiring sleuth down a dark, 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 dark path into the mind of Schwartz. He sports a long, untamed beard, has hair just around the sides of his head, but is bald on top. And looking at his Facebook, you will see statuses that are paragraphs long, kind of like my own, ranting and raving. His most recent public post from August 15th states, which I, I was just looking at, quote, people don't change bullshit. Two years ago, I would have died for every one of you. Two years, of, two years of you ignoring me while I screamed for help. Two years of being assaulted, threatened, harassed, and not one goddamn cop gave a fuck. These people got away with it by calling me mentally ill or sending others after me. When it made a difference, then you gave a fuck. Today I'm done. I will kill you for touching me. End quote. That, let me, I'm going to pull up his Facebook real quick, Matt, just so you can kind of see what we're talking about here. 
because it's like I said it's still up that's his last public post obviously I'm not friends with him on Facebook I did kind of go back and forth with reaching out to him but I really didn't want to open that can of worms mm-hmm. getting back into the case you can see by looking at his Facebook he's just kind of off and you can still see his post to this day regarding Natalie mm-hmm. like her case and everything so on August 14th he wrote quote come forward be honest stop behind it oh August 14th he writes quote come forward be honest stop hiding behind internet trolls stop hiding behind wor- the words justice if you don't care about justice don't pretend to care about Natalie I know better your blind hatred ain't my choice no matter how much you want to blame your hate bias sexism and drama on me and video after video of him attempting to defend himself as a suspect in the case and complain about being harassed, usually sitting in what appears to be a shed or a workspace with various work tools around, uh, were littered throughout his Facebook timeline. So there's a lot of videos of him really trying to defend himself and really saying, you know what, you are wrong. You're wrong for accusing me of this. You know, you're only recusing me because I have mental illness. We'll talk about that. So you can see him also comment on some of his own videos and many times with links to some the, the same few sets of TED Talks and a documentary on abuse of children in foster homes and a TED Talk on autism. Schwartz talks about being victimized, having, quote, no one in his corner, end quote, and vocalizes how he's feeling unsafe and insecure and targeted. Of course, when you watch his videos, you have a sense of his unnerving rage, fear, frustration, and paranoia as they're present through almost every single one of the videos he's in. 10 minutes on his profile will make you feel greatly uneasy and make it clear to see why a 19-year-old Natalie would have been afraid of such a character. The night before Christmas Eve, he made a video entitled, quote, I'm not asking you to love me anymore. I'm asking you for help getting the pills I need to kill myself, end quote. And this could have been one of the suicide mentions that Natalie had talked about in her final update on her Facebook page. Now, here's another update on his profile that mentioned Natalie, and it was on September 10th, and it said, Natalie, I wanted only the best for you. Now all I want is for you to go through the hell I have lived. I want to blow my head off in front of you so close that you can feel the warm spatter of my blood on your face. I want you to feel every bit of my pain because you gave it to me and didn't care. You should not have pretended to care. Tom Beeson is a piece of shit, but you talk to him. I choose not to be a piece of shit. I am not worth it. I'm not worth shit to you. Fucking kill me, you fake fucking cunt. End quote. That's on his public Facebook page, mind you. It's very clear that he had some issues with Natalie, and these posts are very disturbing when you're reading through them, and it makes sense why some web sleuths and internet armchair detectives really thought this guy, who had a lot of rage deep down inside, and, and, you know, some issues with mental health, um why they would think he had something to do with it. So it's hard not to empathize with him, though, when you watch these videos because it does feel like he is suffering from a mental breakdown and not something that's based in reality. It's one of those things you almost can't help but feel like, man, this man needs help. It's not like, why are we attacking him? We still don't know if he did anything to Natalie and everyone decided he did. Right. And he's being attacked by all kinds of people, and people are saying real mean shit on these comments, Matt. Like, mean, mean, crazy things. And, like, it's rude. I mean, like, can you imagine if you didn't have anything to do with a crime or if people believed you thought you had something to do with a crime so heavily that they just attacked you? 
Well, I think judging from his Facebook posts, I understand why people might have assumed that he had some. But still, let the police do their jobs. Like it's I agree. Yeah, I'm. I'm the type of person where until you've actually been indicted and I've read the evidence, I need to do my research. Like I told, we talked about Jerry Sandusky's case, the last case we did. Uh, at the conclusion of season one and John Ryan and I both kind of had this discussion and said like we didn't know for sure until you really did the research and read the grand jury report and read the free report I didn't read the whole free report but most of it and the summaries and all of that and read the newspaper articles and sat there in court the one day I mean I didn't decide until that day in court I told you guys like I you know so like you don't you don't know until you know. Even though, despite what this Facebook might indicate, I would have thought Sean Schwartz was guilty. Oh, I would I have looked there and been like, well, there's the motherfucker that did it. Yeah, you don't need to look too far. I mean, you know, the detective's curse is the solution's right under your nose and you're looking past it the whole time. But do you think, just to go off of that before we get into more of this case, do you think the internet helps or hurts? Yes. Which one? Yes. Both? Yes. <laughs> yes, no, I really do. I think I full on believe that the internet has great capability, but can also, but be, can also be when used recklessly a huge danger because so Absolutely. many people use it to the opportunity of making money or connecting or promoting or a lot of great things. Mm-hmm. But so many people also use it to share false information or to steal or to create just fake total bullshit things like identities or news stories things of that nature so i also believe that it can be used like anything else for either one i think primarily though it's been good because it allows us to access research and knowledge at the drop of a hat yeah which to me is important i think that's been the bigger benefit to the internet's growth Mm -hmm. than it has been the drawback yeah i agree um and so matt Two weeks before Natalie went missing, she was granted a permanent restraining order against the stalker, who was later found out to be Sean Schwartz. So she did have enough evidence to get a restraining order against him. And I know that's not an easy feat because I know a lot of stalking victims have trouble because they don't have enough evidence to prove they're stalking them. Right. So it's not an easy feat. It's not something that they uh, take lightly, I don't think. And it was again Sean Schwartz, and she did allege that he had driven across country to see her and slept behind her work for weeks. So, in any yeah, case, see, regarding, like, even if he didn't have anything to do with this case, it's one of those things where it's like... With her disappearance, It's yeah. like, he was still, like, out of line. You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't take away from the fact that he was a little much. Oh, it's very, yeah. So... A reporter for CBS Denver commented that Sean Schwartz claimed to have given investigators his computer and DNA samples in order to clear himself as a possible suspect. And other than the restraining order, his criminal record was almost clean besides one arrest for theft. So he had no actual criminal record besides uh, a minor thing on his record for theft. And he was willing, more than willing, to help investigators with DNA and, and give himself, you know, his inner everything that he could give to provide uh, detectives with things that they would need to clear him. Proof of his innocence. So Sean's records may have been fairly clean, but that didn't stop 
us armchair detectives from believing he was responsible for Natalie's disappearance. And honestly, like I said, I was one of those people. Now, of course, I wasn't in there commenting about it. Like, I wasn't, like, accusing Y'all know how we get, though. I mean, it's the internet. But I, yeah, but, like, I wasn't outwardly, like, accusing him, but... I did believe through these comments, through the research, through what I was looking at, he was 100% responsible. So almost immediately, Natalie's post about Sean was filled with thousands of comments, um, how they were sure Sean had something to do with her disappearance. Now, one of them that I read said, quote, why couldn't he have just left her alone? It's heartbreaking. And why on earth was there not someone in authority to get him help, but more importantly, away from Natalie? Now she's gone forever. I pray someone is found in charge so she can be in peace. Rest in paradise, Natalie. Beautiful young lady taken away too soon, end quote. And this is before anything broke about her case. It's just people commenting on the missing things. So, quote, poor Natalie. I feel horrible for her family. I was up all night inquiring about her stalker, and there's no doubt in my mind that he is responsible. The guy is unhinged. He should be, he should beg Ellie to take him to jail because if this were my daughter, he'd be gone by now. I've seen these guys firsthand when I was nice to them out of pity and the next thing I know, I have to fear for my life. It's sad that the system cannot protect us from them, end quote. And that I just want to point out is far too close to the truth, commenter. Yep. And another one said, I can tell he's mentally ill. I just feel like he's trying way too hard to act like he isn't involved and he's more concerned. Therefore, his hopes look le- his he <laughs> therefore in his hopes looking less suspicious, which makes me more concerned. I don't know Natalie personally, just mutual friends. Just keeping you guys in my thoughts. I can't imagine how her parents feel right now. Another commenter said, I think he deleted his page and I'm so sorry. I would get the damn feds involved seriously. Call every police agency and speak to supervisor. I believe with everything in me, he has something to do with this crap. Oh my God, prayers and reposting. Now, another person who did end up catching the attention of the web sleuth and armchair detective community was Natalie's own dad. So Natalie was first reported missing at around 3.30 p.m. on December 20, 2017, again by her boyfriend who noticed that she and his gun were missing, according to the Adams County Sheriff's Office. The next day, police got a tip that a body had been found in the... Uh, how would you read that number? In, like, terms of the... 11,600. Okay. I was going to say, you're talking about Macintosh or 11,000? No, not Macintosh. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Because uh, um, it's an address, so I don't know how to like read that as how the address would be. The 11,600 block of Riverdale Road of the land belonging to the Macintosh Dairy Farm. Beautiful. So the next day, police got a tip that a body had been found in the 11,600 block of Riverdale Road on the land belonging to the Macintosh Dairy Farm. Before police officially confirmed the identity of the deceased females, female, not females. Okay, before police officially confirmed the identity of the deceased female, Natalie's dad, Ted Bollinger, posted in a comment on a TV news station's Facebook page that he, quote, just left the sheriff. My daughter was murdered, end quote, before it was announced. Now, Ted was no stranger to the police. He had a criminal record that included arrests for burglary, car theft, drug charges, felony assault, domestic violence, and violating protection orders, according to the Colorado Bureau of Investigation court records. 
Her uncle has a criminal past as well that includes multiple drug charges. And of course, it didn't take long for Facebook comments to start turning their attention to Ted as a suspect as well. Another thing that got people's attention was he did start a GoFundMe page for Natalie's funeral costs again before it was announced that she was dead, uh, besides by him. However, many found it strange that the page was up before Natalie was confirmed and the goal amount, dollar amount, the goal dollar amount on the GoFundMe page kept getting higher and higher. So I believe it started off at like $5,000, then it changed to $7,000, and it changed to $10,000. And on January 8th, Ted announced that funeral services for Natalie would be held the following day, but later announced that the services had been canceled due to issues with funding. A comment on the GoFundMe page that I found read, quote, you are vile and a filthy pig, Ted Bollinger. Let it be known not a cent from this campaign went to any service or to bury his daughter. He also had to be escorted from the church after flipping out and using vulgar language to the priest. Report this campaign. He will be looking at fraud charges now. And that commenter posted that like 13 times on the page to kind of like spam it. And on January 11th, Natalie's mother, Rose Kelly, and her side of the family announced that memorial services would be held in Virginia. On January 13th, a funeral was held for Natalie at the church, because it was confirmed to be Natalie, by the way. I was going to say, yeah, we have to confirm that was Natalie. That was Natalie. Um, On January 13th, a funeral was held for Natalie at the church of St. Therese. On January 13th, a funeral was held for Natalie at the church of St. Therese in Chesapeake. Sheriff McIntosh specifically addressed the double-edged role, like we were just talking about, that social media had played in the investigation, saying that there's police that saying that police's priority was making sure they conducted the investigation, quote, by the numbers, end quote, and said Facebook gets to put out that information before we can go through all of our official steps to make sure that we get it right. In today's day and age, it's kind of fascinating how much information we can gain from that. On the other hand, there's a lot of information that is absolutely untrue, false accusations. Our goal is to make it sure we're not headed down a rabbit trail that we don't need to go down. Right. And that's okay. kind of my thoughts as well is, you know, there are the there are the people that are out there trying to do their best, help out, maybe get some information, expose, shed light on things. But there are some shitty people out there who see a conspiracy theory and say, yeah, I think Obama had something to do with that, too, you know, or yeah, I think Trump was part of that. And it does. It goes off on a tangent. I mean, honestly, people don't understand what their ideas can suggest and indicate in some people. Yeah, um, and, but, and it's just, it's weird that Ted Bollinger announced that his daughter was deceased before. The yeah, that, that is sketchy. Like, he he also was, like, clearly trying to benefit from her death. I mean, it becomes obvious after a while when the money keeps going up, but then, then there's no funeral, and then there's too much money to be accounted for, and, oh, well, where'd all the money go? And Ted Bollinger's already obviously not somebody who's had the most had the cleanest right. So it's interesting, and you know, people pointed their their glances at him as well. And right. a lot of the comments on the um, on the GoFundMe page, because I was reading through all of them, some of them are like in response to the girl who like said your file, whatever. It's not going towards anything. They said, you know, this is Ted's friend who started this campaign. The costs are high, then you know they're high costs to have a funeral, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. But well, while the online community was hard at work accusing Ted Bollinger and Sean Schwartz, both these guys, obviously the internet warriors, were well investigating into. Uh, investigators were actually finalizing their own work onto 
Natalie's death because they had to be doing more than online research and looking into Facebook posts. Correct. So, an autopsy report from the Adams and Bloomfield, and sorry, I'm sorry, Broomfield County Coroner released February 1st showed that Bollinger died from a single gunshot wound to the head. The coroner's report, signed by Dr. Stephen Cena, also noted a potentially lethal level of heroin in the blood at the time of death, as well as needle tracks on her body, consistent with heroin use. So, the autopsy report stated that Bollinger had a history of heroin and methamphetamine use, but, according to the arrest affidavit, to this point in the investigation there have been no suicide notes, messages, either text or otherwise, or any communication with anyone that she planned on taking her life. In fact, family members, including her grandmother, Mary Bollinger, indicated she was a very happy individual looking forward to her recent acceptance to school. I mean, you know, she wasn't... Nobody indicated that, so it wasn't like there was any thought that... Other than, like, you know, Sean Schwartz was out here basically blowing up his thoughts on the internet, and you know nowadays yeah. everybody is, it seems I'm like. i that, too. <laughs> I mean, I am, too. Absolutely. I, I'll say that. I do that, too. But it's, you know, it seems like... Lord, if you don't want to know what I think, get off my Facebook page. Don't, don't follow me. Yeah, um, right. But going off on that information, detectives turned Natalie's cell phone records out, and in order to find more clues on what she had been doing prior to her death, who Which she had been typical, contacting... I think that's, like, one of the main places, okay, who Absolutely. were you talking to right before? They pull your LUDs, they pull your cell phone records, they pull your text messages, who did you call, who did you text, who were you working with? Yep. Um, who was the last person they spoke to? Correct. And I think that's key, because honestly... Especially it, this day and age... That's what exactly I was going to say. I was just going to follow that up within this day and age. Um, So on December 28th, according to the paperwork, Natalie Bollinger either sent or received approximately 111 texts to or from an unknown phone number. Which is curious. Very odd. Why that day of all others is she sending so many texts? I mean, I guess 111 Depending on how often you guys text, I text a lot. I send definitely more than 100 text messages in a day. Yeah. No and question. just so you guys but, know, Matt and I got this information from a few different sources, which we'll list, but one of the main ones was the actual police affidavit. I read through five pages, and we will post them online at some point on our uh, on our um, website, iforipod.com. Iveripod. But it's really interesting because, like, I've never really, like, I've read through police reports, but never, like, the official affidavit. Oh, yeah, affidavits. They're cool to read. I had to read a bunch of them back in college. And honestly, when you really do break down a case and how thoroughly they go through some aspects of it, I mean. That's what we're about to find out here, Matt. So we're going to find out. What did we find out? Tell me something good. (laughs) Bow, bow. Okay. Okay. So. The last number that she had contact with on her cell phone before she went missing, as we said, was an unknown random number that she sent over 100 text messages to. You know, a decent amount of text messages. That's fairly more, yeah, more than usual if you're not talking to somebody regularly, you know? know, Right. Investigators spoke with family and friends of Natalie, and no one recognized or could identify the number, which they let them know was not a usual number. Yeah, that's really weird. So investigators were able to identify the phone number through Facebook and confirmed by the DMV as it belonging to 22-year-old Joseph Lopez. Detectives confirmed Joseph had called off work on 1229 and on the 30th did not show up for work with no call into account for why. 
Though when his employer got a hold of him, his family said he was, again, sick and had been sleeping all day. So that next Thursday, he was approached at the Domino's Pizza he worked at, and police asked him if he was willing to answer some questions. Joseph told detectives that he was pretty sure he knew what they were there for. Which, if you wanted to pretend you were innocent of a crime, you don't want to implicate yourself. Yeah. Hey, buddy, first thing you should say is, no, I don't know what you mean. If you don't want to get arrested. (laughs) So, Joseph told detectives he was pretty sure he knew what they were there for, and that he was sure it had to do with the girl he talked to on Craigslist. So we're going to take a turn. This, is, this case takes a turn. Yeah. Quick 180 for y'all ass. Lopez claimed that he had come across a bizarre post on the classified ads website while he was coming through the women seeking men section that was titled, I want to put a hit on myself. He confirmed that he got in contact with Natalie via email Sometime between 0200 and 0300 hours, so 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. on December 3rd, or I'm sorry, December 28th. And according to Lopez, that morning, later on that day, they exchanged cell phone numbers and began texting. Natalie Bollinger allegedly asked Lopez how much it would cost for him to kill her. And he said... Just basically from hundreds to thousands. It just depends. According to the affidavit. So my man wasn't very good at math. Because hundreds to thousands is a jump. Number one. Um, Number two. If you're going to ask somebody to shoot you. You're only going to ask for a couple hundred bucks. You're looking at life, my man. Right. He was like, yeah, we get like 600 bucks and like gas money and I guess we're cool. Like, what are you doing? Let me get 10 grand. Show me the cash. Right. Pay for my fucking tuition next year. You know, I want something real. Um, Joseph, my man, you messed up here a few times. Uh So he stated that he was only talking to her about it until he gained her trust. And then he would try to convince her that it was a bad idea and that she shouldn't do it. You think, Joseph? (laughs) He told detectives that he struggled personally with depression and suicide attempts in the past. And because of this was using a fake persona of a hitman he had created for himself. (sighs) So, yeah, what? Okay, what, man? Right? I I just, I need to take a step back. I mean, Joseph. And he went into detail about an app on his cell phone called Amino that allows him to create, I've never heard of that, have you? And that allows him to create these fantasy personas and then use them in gaming exchanges on the backstory for his Akai personality. And that he's very charismatic and can lure people in, but then turns, quote, psycho, and he strikes, according to the affidavit. Yeah, I needed to take a sip of water there. I mean, what? 
And he also told detectives that during his senior year at Adams County High School, he was going through a rough time and that one day he accidentally left his journal in the classroom. A teacher found that journal and ended up having to talk to the school counselor about it as it contained stories about kidnapping people, torturing them, and then executing them. This was found in his school. What the hell? Yeah. So Lopez said on the day that Bullinger was killed, she gave him her address and had him come pick her up. He said sometime between 11 and 12. Lopez stated that she, quote, wanted to get on her knees and be executed from behind because she did not want to see the gun, end quote. At first, he told detectives that they stopped at a few places where he would help her commit suicide, but said that she didn't like those places, so he eventually drove her back to her house and dropped her off at a gas station. But detectives were thinking something was wrong with that story because they had the cell phone records. They gave Lopez a smoke break, and after he ate some cookies and drank a can of Mountain Dew, detectives revealed to him that they had attained, obtained the, the cell phone records and that the GPS and tower locations put him on the scene of where her body was found. At that point, Lopez quickly changed his story and claimed that he had been in the area because he had made a wrong turn. <laughs> However, later, later Lopez told the detectives that he had driven down the dirt road to the cul-de-sac where Natalie was found and parked the car. He said he was still, quote, trying to talk Natalie Bollinger out of killing herself, but she was set on doing it, end quote. He said that Natalie told him that, quote, she needed to get away from her boyfriend because he was bad for her, but also kept saying that she loved her boyfriend and did not want to leave or him or hurt him. He said that Natalie shot herself in the head. But detectives told Lopez that they knew from the autopsy that the gun was somewhere between one and three feet away from Natalie when she had been shot and killed. And how they determined that, for those of you guys who are forensic pathologists... Just so you know, or those of you who are not, gunshot residue is the biggest thing that they determine. But there are also what are called um, pock marks that are left over from when a gun goes off. Uh, they're called, what's it called? Stripling that forms from when a gun fires. And it all can burn skin, clothing. It just basically latches on to whatever. It's like a mini explosion that goes off basically when a gun fires. So it leaves a small residue on everything, and that's what they determined how far away somebody is based on the level of residue that they have within that range, which I always found so interesting because that is a really, you know, that's an important facet of determining how someone died. It's like, you know, were they shot from close range? Were they shot themselves? Mm -hmm. Especially in this case, obviously, where he's alleging that he didn't really do it. Yeah, he, he said she shot herself in the head. Um... And so, yeah, so they knew by that that he had, someone else had to have pulled the trigger because she, based on the residue, she could not have been the one to pull the trigger. And that's when he told police yet another story, except this time he was saying that he and Natalie, quote, said a prayer together, and then he shot her in the head. He said he did panic, and he grabbed her purse off the ground, which he put in his white Nissan along with the gun. When asked if he checked on Natalie after he shot her, Joseph said no because he was sure she was dead. He said he did not tell his fiance or anyone else what had occurred that day, but did consider calling the police and turning himself in because it was eating away at him. 
Joseph Lopez was transported to the Adams County Detention Facility and booked on new charges of first-degree murder. Mm-hmm. And his next court date is this February 14th, Valentine's Day. Now, if I'm being completely honest, Matt, when I was following this case solely on social media, I, too, did believe that Sean Schwartz had something to do with her murder. I, I think it's honestly... It's hard to believe that people wouldn't think it was him just because people of all that's still happened. still think it's him. Yeah, oh, people are still convinced it was him and what happened is awful, but I full-on believe that, like, you have to be accountable for the things you say on the internet. I also believe that people can't strictly judge a person based on what they say on the internet. Exactly. So that needs to be said. The internet is a dark hole, like Lisa said. You can take good things from there. You can find great knowledge. You can be, you know, a voice. It gives people a voice. But at the same time, you cannot use it for the dark things and the bad things and expect it not to come back to bite you. Absolutely. Just saying. And so I know people are going to wonder why we covered this case if there's no conclusion yet. So there's no eye for an eye has been met. And we'll definitely cover Joseph's um, punishment. But I wanted to talk more about Sean. Um, So as we said he was pretty much accused and convicted in the eyes of the website, uh, the web sleuths and armchair detective communities. In the court of law, public opinion, sir. Yeah, and Matt, get this. It was reported that after Joseph was brought up on the charges, people still had it out for Sean. A mob hunted him down, found Sean, and threw him off of a bridge. Now, how? I mean. He survived, but understandably so, has now been keeping a low profile. My God. So what I wanted to talk about as far as I for an eye on this case is, you know, Sean was a convicted stalker of Natalie, but did he get what he deserved? Did people treat him fairly in in that they believe that he had something and they convicted him? They, they still think he did it. They still believe he has something to do with it. Do you think it's fair to hunt someone down and, and you know, Obviously not. I think it's scary as hell that this could happen to a guy. I mean, granted... Literally, like, the world believed he did it. Like I said, be accountable for what you say. But also, people, hold yourselves accountable for your actions. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. guilty until proven innocent is never the way we should be operating. Because it's so often we find out now that people didn't do things that they were accused of or that looked so obvious. But... I mean, wow, that's just frightening, you know, and and I'm glad that even how it was phrased of like, you know, with everybody doing their online work, investigators were doing the real work, figuring out what's going on. The police are actually out there doing their job, finding things. Like if you want to be a detective, go to the police police academy. academy, do your time as a beat cop. Do your time at a desk and then apply for the detective. You know, like, honestly, at that like, point. I understand people are trying to help, but they literally convicted but they don't, him without any basis on, on. And the thing is, they don't have all the facts. That's the other thing is like, when you get on the Internet, guys, and I tell people this all the time. People say, oh, yeah, how do you know what you're reading is true? And I say, because I read it seven different times yeah, before I say it. it. Because I've read it on seven different fucking websites. I didn't just see it once and turn around and retweet it. I see something. Now, occasionally I'll do that, but if it's something that's obvious. But I say all the time, if you don't know something, don't don't blab. Don't open your mouth up until you're certain. And I've been guilty of it before, and I've learned it the hard way. Yep. 
and I know that it's happened to me before, and I'm and I like that's why I tell people now is because I've learned my lesson is it's better to just seem ignorant, feign ignorance, and then figure out what you need to know and know. Do you think that Sean? I mean, obviously he wasn't church. Excuse me. Do you think that Sean? Um, I don't even know what I was gonna say, but like I for and I like. Do you think people genuinely thought that they were like seeking justice, or do you think that they refused to listen to fact? I mean, clearly they refused to listen to fact because it's been known that Joseph has been convicted and charged. Well, I think it's obvious that people want to have their own particular. Like, they believe what they tell themselves. Exactly. You know, your opinion's right, because you've done all the research, and you know, for sure. Yeah. But I also don't believe that there's so much to be said for... You know, everybody wants to have their own way in, is, is what I'm getting at. Yeah. But I, I and I, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this without sounding like a dick. <laughs> Not everyone's opinion matters the same. No. Okay? That's Especially just facts. detective. Exactly. So just because you're on the Facebook. internet <laughs> and have the ability to say something, it doesn't mean you have to or that you should. And I get it, you know. It can be difficult, and there are people out there that can be challenging and annoying to deal with and to see, and it makes you want to say something to them, but honestly, or do something to them, but honestly, until you know or you're really sure, like, what are you doing but making it worse? Exactly, and they made it harder for detectives because they were constantly calling in about Sean, they believed he had something to do with it, which did hinder their real investigation. It did make things go a little bit slower because they spent time looking into Sean that wasn't necessary because he had nothing to do with it. And it is kind of sad because he is a little erratic and does have mental illnesses and and he doesn't have a filter. It, It does make it hard because he, in the eyes of... A lot of the people in the comments, it's like he convicted himself almost. Right. And it was solely because he was, you know, not completely there mentally. And I'll say it again. And although, yeah, he was unstable and we have to account for that. But account for what you say on the Internet, This is a really great point because if you say some craziness on the Internet, expect expect, it to come back to you in a murder investigation. you don't think there's crazy motherfuckers out there that are looking at you and thinking, well, this guy did it, so I'm going to find him. His address is right there. Come on. If you're willing to say it, someone's willing to do it. Right. So that is Natalie Belinger's case. It we will catch up on, like, actually what happened to Joseph, but I wanted to bring it to light just to kind of keep, you know, that it, it, a punishment did not fit the crime. He didn't even create, he didn't even get a punish. Like, um, Sean wasn't even guilty of anything, and he got punished. And I think that's an important fact. It's like, yeah, he stalked her, and that, he got the punishment for that. That was fair. Restraining order, that is fair. He stayed away from her as far as we all know. Um, my question is, though, do you think Natalie planned that post beforehand? Like, yes, he was genuinely a stalker. Yes, she was genuinely dealing with a stalker. But do you think she kind of planted that post at the time, knowing she was going to try to hire someone to kill her um, or whatever happened there to keep the investigation off of her? Do you think she did that on purpose? 
Because I was thinking about that the other day. Uh, like, do you I think she know. knew that if she posted about Sean Schwartz, more people would, more think, people it would think it was him? More people think it was him, and stay away from looking at her. Did we ever find out? This was my question. Did we ever find the communications between Natalie and and Lopez and Joseph Lopez? Because sure, they haven't gone to trial yet. Okay, I want to know what they said to one another. If what he said is true, and she was on there soliciting him. What do you him, think? But you, you're a human being. You know that murder is not right. Well, yeah. I'm not saying he's not culpable just because he did it. Like, yeah. But I'm saying that would at least indicate what your question is. Is did she do that on purpose? I would say, yeah. If probably. that's the case, yeah. I would hope not. That's Isn't that really interesting? Sick. It's so interesting that everyone had it set in their mind who did this and not one person got it right. I know. Not a single person got it right. That's crazy. Isn't that wild? And like I said, I was guilty too. And that just shows me you can't just jump to conclusions out of nowhere. Um, I guess it wasn't completely out of nowhere, but you know what I mean. Just be careful what you guys say online. And with that, this is episode one of season two. Thank you for stopping by. And we'll definitely update you guys on what happens to Joseph. Um, I hope Sean Schwartz is being left alone. He is not convicted in any way of this crime. He was completely... He was never even brought in. He like he gave up everything. He was very agreeable with the police. He did get into a little bit of an altercation with the policeman. Uh, but it's just, he's a man that's struggling. You know what I mean? He's a, he's a man that's having his own struggles. And it's just unfortunate that he kind of fell into the middle of this giant web of mess. Quagmire of shit, as we would call it. Yeah, so go rate, review, subscribe. Hang out with us on ifrypod.com on all of our social media sites. Thank you. We love you. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Yay. So jarring you the tales tonight about the murder mystery of 19-year-old Natalie Bollinger. According to the arrest report obtained by Denver 7, the suspect claims Natalie had a role in her own death. Denver 7's Jacqueline Allen spent a good part of today pouring over that report. Jacqueline? Shannon, we now know this man, Joseph Lopez, is charged with first-degree murder, accused of shooting Natalie Bollinger in the head. But tonight, the arrest affidavit details the suspect's bizarre story, claiming Natalie hired him to kill her. What happened to Natalie Bollinger has been a mystery since her body was found in Adams County December 29th. But this arrest affidavit gives new information about how police tracked down Joseph Lopez, who texted back and forth with Natalie 111 times the day she disappeared. As you can imagine, a 19-year-old social media or phone, there's a lot of data there. The affidavit states Lopez says he contacted Natalie after seeing a Craigslist ad titled something to the effect of, I want to put a hit on myself. It states he used a fake hitman persona and agreed to meet her and kill her with her own gun, execution style. While some of Natalie's friends and family had told investigators she had a history of suicidal thoughts, others said she was happy and looking forward to attending school. The sheriff says it's too soon to know what really drove the crime. An autopsy shows Natalie also had a history of heroin and methamphetamine use and revealed she died from a gunshot wound to the head but with a potentially lethal level of heroin in her blood. It's very, very difficult in these cases. Um, even if there's a stated motive, um, 
to really determine long-term what that, what that motive truly is. In court, it may not matter whether Natalie asked for a hit or not. Even if she asked for assistance, if he's the one who pulled the trigger, it's still murder. The sheriff named Lopez as the sole suspect and says the man previously named a person of interest, Sean Schwartz, wasn't involved. Since the arrest, he's been posting on Facebook Live about his innocence. Those of you who helped me, thank you. Thank you so much, all right? Now, I spoke to Natalie's family about this story tonight. Her father tells me it's the first time they've heard these details. They're not ready to comment until the case moves a bit further along the legal process. Reporting live, Jacqueline Allen, Denver 7. All right, thank you, Jacqueline.